Welcome to Demo Jockeys. I'm Jack Cochran. And I am Adam DiTomaso. And welcome back to another month. Uh, this month, we're going through the book, A Storytelling Animal. So if you have not been reading it, you want to catch up, go out, pick it up, and then you can binge through the episodes uh, once you're done. Fantastic book. Excited to get into it. Also, as an important note, we are going to be having Matt Madden, uh, the host of the Path to Presales podcast, joining us for November 23rd and November 30th. So that'll be a fun one to look forward to. Absolutely, it will. Before we get into it, though, Adam, I do have a question for you. Yes. Would you consider yourself a storyteller? <laughs> I would consider myself a storyteller in every sense of the word. My mother would, my father would, my daughter, my wife, my family, my friends. Your coworkers. My I mean, coworkers. having worked with you, I knew where this answer was going to be. <laughs> I Being a storyteller, I think, is, is a big part of my personality. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's a little bit of every pre-sales professional's maybe got a little bit of a storyteller in them. Um, but not all do, not all do. And certainly some are better than others. Yes. From what I've seen, you ask, ask a seller to tell you a story and you're not always going to get gold coming out of their mouth. <laughs> <laughs> not all of us can be Shakespeare. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. Uh, that's actually one you know reason why I'm excited about the book that we're going through this month. It's not a pre-sales book. Last month we did just effing demo, obviously aimed at sellers and people giving demonstrations of some sort and pre-sales, especially, a storytelling animal is not a pre-sales book, which I think is a good thing, right? I think it's a great thing. This is a book that I would, that I didn't know about, that I do know about now, obviously, that I would absolutely, I mean, I would read this anywhere. I would read this for entertainment. And yeah. it teach, I mean, for someone like me who, who loves to tell a good story, lives to tell a good story, and has never <laughs> taken a creative writing class in their life, never, you know, whose focus in... In, in academia was more on the computer science and on the music side than it was anything on engineering side than it was anything related to storytelling. And I, it's funny, reading this book makes me want to take a creative writing class. Oh, really? Yep. I mean, yeah, yeah, I get that. It, it covers a lot of topics around just how to get started crafting. I, I do have to say, maybe not that for me that I wanted to take a creative writing course, but maybe more that if I was going to get into creative writing, I feel like I have a point at which to start to frame my idea. Yes. There's a lot of topics in here that's just, here's the components of what, it's not necessarily how to write a story. It's more of here's why we as humans love a story and here's what it is about stories that we're wired to receive. Right. Yeah. I, why is a story important? And I mean, when we and, we, and again, you're right, this is not a pre-sales book to, to bring it back to pre-sales a little bit, <clears throat> excuse me, because that's what we do for a living. I think it's nice because in a lot of situations, SEs are forced to say, okay, we got to tell the story. Well, do you even know how to tell the story? Do yeah. you know what the story is? Absolutely. Or even, yeah, what if when you tell that story, if anyone's even going to want to listen to you talk right that's right. i mean we've both heard our fair share of i want to tell you a little story about su such and such a customer who used our and, and like everyone is just like 
uh, but this is so, it sounds like everything I've ever heard. Ever. Oh, they had a problem and then they used your software and their problems were solved. Magically. Magically. I appreciate Thanks. Oh, and 250% ROI. Great. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Not a made up number at all. <laughs> yeah, that is, it's funny. That is 110%. And everybody's trying to bring that. Our mm -hmm. awesome ROI story, our awesome implementation client story. And does it even make sense into the audience you're talking to and is even relevant to the people want to hear it? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I think there's a little bit of an elephant in the room in this because when I talk to others in pre-sales, you get their opinion. Other people in sales in general, there are many who say you that telling stories is definitely not something they want to be seen as doing, right? Like you don't want to be a storyteller. You want to be talking about the truth. You want to be talking right. about what actually happened, about real things. And I I don't know. I feel like there's a little bit of an art of storytelling in making a good sale other than just telling the truth. I mean, not not, not just the truth, other than just telling exactly how stuff works is what I mean. Obviously, you want to tell the truth. <laughs> right. We always want to tell the truth. But there's the idea that, I mean, I think, you know, but the but to kind of answer your question, Jack, and kind of I will answer it like this, and I'll answer it with a with a line from the book because I believe it or not, I think this is a good way to kind of go into it. In short, regardless of the genre or the software or whatever, I threw that in. If there is no naughty problem, there is no story. Every person we demo to, you demo to the listener. Uh, they have a story. The client has a story. They may not have told you the story. You may not know all the facts, but there is a story there. And it's more about when you're told to tell a story, I think it's more of the idea that you need to investigate and figure out what that client's story is. So when you do say it, and you do say, it's not just saying about this great bicycle client who had 250% ROI. Nah, that's not a story they want to hear. They want to hear their story read by you based on what you're trying to educate them on, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and actually, one, one thing the book that I, that I think we're both hinting at a little bit is talking about is this, the the idea of hyper-realism, which is, um, according to the book, and I actually agree, having going through it, so, something that is actually pretty terrible for storytelling. The idea of hyper-realism is... Like, let me tell you about my day. Well, first, I hopped in the car and I drove. And there wasn't that bad of traffic. It actually was like the fastest I ever got to work. And so I got my parking spot and walked in and had got my coffee. Didn't spill on me. Like, you're just telling the facts of how easy and clean and perfect things went. And if you've ever had to be on the receiving end of someone telling you about their day in this manner, where nothing interesting happened... You can't wait for them to finish. <laughs> right? So you can go about your own day. I mean, it's there's something about hearing the hyperrealism that we just don't care about. Now, take if on the other hand, I talked about how I hopped in the car and someone smashed in the back end of my car and drove off. So I had to get a tow truck to take me to car and I was late to this big meeting, spilled my coffee all over myself. How much more interested are you in that story than the first story I told? I want the second story all day long because that's the drama. <laughs> that is exactly right. That's the drama. Like that's that's what we live for. And a big part of uh, some of the sections of storytelling animals talking specifically about that, how we as humans, we live for this idea of, 
of drama. We live for this idea of I want to have something go wrong, terribly wrong. This is an interesting thing that'll draw my attention as opposed to just how things went well. And so right. if I think about telling a customer story, how often do we talk about they had a problem, we came in and the deployment was perfect and they were happy all along the way and then their customers were happy. Even though we solved a problem, we've told a very uninteresting and unmemorable story at the end of the day. Exactly. You know, and it, it made me think because in my own career, in my own, you know, in my own role right now, I, I bridge a gap between pre-sales and sales and I, and I, and, and doing something a little different. And it's interesting. I want to tell the story about what I've been doing to my future clients and what I'm going to rely and fall back on is thanks to this book and thanks to the, the idea of hyper-realism and the idea of maybe leading with the negative is I'm going to tell a narrative of things were not good and happy at this guy. <laughs> yeah. They yeah. were, you know, in the, the thing is, though, we we don't want to distract from the happy ending, in my opinion, with your with translating this into a work scenario. So for if I was to translate this to my work scenario, I might tell the story of how the client was had a deadline looming and unfortunately some people quit. Guess what? That's reality of, of any company, good or bad, whatever. People move on to other opportunities. And they were key people. They left a hole. Things got moved around. People had to pick stuff up, but contracts were ending on certain applications. So again, you're talking about a situation where through no one's fault, this is where they were and they had they they were in trouble. And mm -hmm. it wasn't about swooping in and saving the day cleanly. It was about trying to just help them fix problems and put band-aids on things and maybe we can push this off and get this fixed. But more to the point, you do get to the end of the story of a happy ending of being able to resolve the conflict. And that's really kind of two interesting pieces of the story, starting with the idea of, well, yes, this is the problem. It's not all happy and roses, but we were able to resolve the conflict and get to the end. And, and I think that important middle part is where I think a lot of people are scared of not having everything be perfect. Right. And that's where I, I think the stories get really boring because what they want to say is before problem, terrible deadlines you know people losing their jobs this is my like the last chance to get something done we swoop in happy music plays and great outcome it, it's very shallow it's very two-dimensional like it's the story that when you're a six-year-old you write you know right but if you're okay it's if it's okay to come in like if i tell a story about an implementation that you know we did and you know what there was problems during that implementation here's why there was things we didn't account for. They brought up new um, things we weren't aware of. It caused a little bit of a delay because we had to figure these things out. Everyone's scared of telling that story. But even as I was describing a rough piece there, you're starting to relate to it because it sounds more like, one, it's more interesting to hear about how, oh my gosh, this person, <laughs> they brought you new data sources you weren't ready for or they, you know, they... Um, asked for some new requirements that everyone didn't realize you could do, but it suddenly became critical to the client, like a true bumpy road. It's not painting me, the vendor, in a bad light at all. In fact, what it's probably doing is showing we're a real company with real people. We're going to deploy with you and it's not going to be perfect along the way, but we're resilient enough to do it. And the part two Absolutely. of that is that you're actually telling a more interesting story. So they're probably more likely to remember it in the first place. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> that's absolutely correct. I mean, and, and really, if you think about it, and I, and again, I love this book because it's as, as we're talking, I like to flip through and I always like, I, I, I'm a margin writer. A lot of readers don't like to hear that, but I'm right in the margins. It's horrible. It's your book. I know. You do what I you shouldn't. want. Huh? You d it's your book. You do what you want with it. I, <laughs> I don't understand the book purists. Are you going to sell this book to someone someday? You're going to keep it. Like, it's not going to appreciate in value. Write in it. Make it useful. Ugh. Oh, totally. <laughs> soapbox for the day. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent soapbox to stand up. I, I, no, I, I mean, I, as a quick tangent, I plan to have a nice little shelf with all of our books lined up. Yeah. But, start, I've, started my, I've started my bookshelf collection back behind nice. here. So, mm -hmm. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Someday maybe we'll even do an office tour if I clean the other side and folks can't see. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big if there, Adam. That's a big if. That's a big I don't if. know. <laughs> Only know who knows what's on the right side of the camera. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you could see the cable mess that's behind this camera here, oh my gosh. I try. I try to cable manage. I tried it, but oh, this is the part that's in camera. Come on, this is the part you're gonna see. <laughs> yeah. It's the part that matters. And I do have different bases. But <laughs> Yeah. Back to this awesome book, The Storytelling Animal. Uh, when you think about your stories and, and, I mean, in reading this book, and to be, I haven't even finished it yet, I'm still, I'm still climbing through it because I do love it so much. But I think it's neat to say story equals character plus predicament plus an, uh, attempted extraction. So the idea here is, is we do want to have the negative of our story to make the story more impactful. And not a and, false negative. More, I mean, more than likely, there are real negatives. And that's the oh, yeah. problem is that we try to sanitize our stories as sellers, and there's just no reason to. Right. Um, I mean, honestly, if, if what you want is a perfect story that if someone remembered it would paint you in a good light because they actually bought into it, great. Tell a super cleansed story. But if instead you want something someone's going to remember, even if they remember, ooh, there was some issues, but it was still a good outcome in the end, they're going to remember the story. Like, that's the story you want to tell, right? That's right. the story you want to leave with somebody. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. There's actually yeah. a quote from the book in this about this that I really liked um, in this area, talking about hyper-realism. Uh, it's... Uh, there is a yawning canyon between what is desirable in life, which is an uneventful trip to the grocery store, as an example, and what is desirable in fiction, which is a catastrophic trip. In this gap, I believe, is an important clue to the evolutionary riddle of fiction. Basically saying, look, you can never have a good story if you don't have something that's going to be emotionally tied to something happening or where you are just going to have chaos or problems or something. We can't be storytellers in our jobs and at work without that idea of conflict. I would add to that thought, and when you think about your story and how you assemble it, think about this. Think about what Jack just said, but also add the idea that when you have conflict, you're exposing vulnerability. Mm. Vulnerability becomes memorable in your story when you deliver it because it's kind of the crutch, if you will, or the, the, the reason why you have the story is because of, of this vulnerability and it was exposed. Whether that be a car accident, whether it be a horrible trip to the grocery store, whatever that may be, 
there was something that puts you in an off situation. Mm -hmm. How do you solve for that? And yeah. when you translate that to your discovery, think about this. Well, what are we trying to create? We're trying to create a story. How do we create a story? Find out what their problems are. And that's really getting into that whole great idea about use cases and, okay, great. Well, now I've got their use cases, so this is their problem. Now, how do I solve for that problem? It may not be an eloquent solution. It may not be a clean solution. But if it's a solution and we can explain how to get there in a very factual way, but tell the story of how to get there, then you're really conveying your point. Yeah. I like that. I also, I also like something you brought up towards towards the middle there about bringing up or including the vulnerability. Um, I have seen vulnerability rewarded in sales more often than uh, not rewarded, whatever the proper opposite of that is. What I, what I mean is I've, I've seen customers respond better to when someone says, actually, no, we can't. Or that's not something we're going to be able to do for you. Or I don't want to beat around the bush. That's going to be more difficult the way you want to do things. When you present that and you're frank and you're forward, you show that vulnerability, even just when discussing or answering a question, customers tend to lean in a little bit. And it's it's built off of a uh, the idea that really, if you if you think of um, confidence in your product and in your platform, and building your um, trust as a seller, whenever you say something, you can't build both confidence in your product and trust in yourself as a seller at the same time. You can do one or the other, and any statement that you make is either going to build trust within you as a person or build confidence in what you're selling. I know some people might not agree with me on this, but if you really think about it, if I'm making a statement and you have you have no background on who I am as a person and I just keep talking about all the things that we can do, these statements are designed to build co your confidence in the product. But for every positive statement I make, it's starting to raise a flag of, is this really true or are they just telling me what I want to hear? Right. <laughs> But when I start to work, when I start to build the trust in who I am and I show the vulnerability and I'm honest about things that we can't do, it may move the confidence down a little bit, but it's building trust up. And so learning that you you need both, and it's not a it's not a full, it's not a one-to-one. -one, it's a it's sort of like a climbing ladder as you build both trust and confidence. That's how you build someone to trust you and trust what you sell. So the vulnerability that you're building is very important because that's the steps that you need for people to trust you as a person. You have to show that. Otherwise, all you're going to be doing is building up someone's confidence in a product. But without them trusting you, it's completely meaningless. Right. Because they're, I mean, and vulnerability, when you're showing that vulnerability, when you're showing and you're building that trust, you're actually building the general relationship with the person. Because they're like, oh, he said no, or he said no, not really, or he gave me the straight answer. That's if that person feels they've gotten information from you that could be perceived negatively as not in your favor or your product right. as oh geez well that's that's outside of our scope. Well, so they say you that, were, right? Yeah, right. You were honest and you answered the question. That's going to build my trust in you, and now I'm going to really be more inclined to work with you. Yeah, I mean, if if someone can trust you, there's there's so much data out there that shows that as a seller, if someone can trust what you're saying. If they trust the person, they're going to buy from what's perceived as a worst solution 
from the person that they trust more, which I can attest to this. If someone's coming to pitch to me and I'm like both platform, like this platform looks a lot better, but it's a total snake skin oil salesman type of person selling it to me. If I have no trust in the person selling it, no matter what confidence I feel in the product, I'm going to shy away from it, right? <laughs> like that's too good to be true. Yeah, it is. That's the defense mechanism. It, it really is. But, at, but, I mean, to bring it back to storytelling, then why do we sanitize and sugarcoat our stories and remove all the negative from our stories? There's no reason why we should do that. We should include the vulnerability in the stories that we tell, both because it's going to help build that trust, but also it's gonna just going to make the story more memorable. End of the yes. day, I want someone to remember the story I'm going to tell, not just 250% ROI. Yay. <laughs> from your bicycle store. <sighs> you know, look, okay, tip of the day for anyone out there doing any type of ROI presentations. If you show 300% ROI, I know you made the number up. <laughs> there is no way you hit a round number. Just be, and you know you made it up. That's why it's at 300%. Because if right. you do the math on something, it's going to be like 217%. It's going to be a non-even number because that's just how math, like the likelihood of you hitting a round number like that is so low. If if you're making up a number, don't make up a round number. Just, I mean, don't make up numbers, but don't make them round if you're guessing. Like <laughs> skew them a little bit. Come on. It's so funny you say that, too, because I was recently on a marketing call and someone said, we had like a 60% open rate on an email. I'm like, no, you didn't. <laughs> That's not right. I don't believe you. Okay, there's also a sniff test. And yeah. there's never been an email in history other than, no, I'm not, other than, no, there's not, not even the email you sent to your family about your birthday party. You never, you didn't get a 60% open rate on that. They saw the email <laughs> birthday party. Eh, I'll ask them. <laughs> Nobody gets a 60% open rate, right? It's unheard of. Oh my gosh. Unless you if went to free cruise. Like eight or nine, I would have been happy. Yeah. But that's the thing. If someone... If someone had told me 12% open rate, I'd be more likely to believe it than a 10% open rate. Yeah. Because I'd never believe, even numbers sound fake, right? <laughs> uh, anyways, total side note, but I mean, that's, but look, put put the vulnerability into your story, right? Put, put the parts that aren't cleaned and sanitized because you're going to build trust, one, and two, you're going to going to make your story something someone's going to actually remember and that's the whole point people don't remember stuff you tell them may as well make it more memorable exactly yeah cool um so adam yes believe it or not we're, we're getting close to running out of time so before we run out of time for today's episode uh do you want to take us into the demo zone for this week Oh, the demo zone. Yes, I got one quick one today, but I, I, I'm not sure, Jack. Can you rephrase that question for me? Um, I'd like to know if there's anything you wanted to present from a demo tip, tip or trick, something like that. Okay, that's a great question. And what I just did there was exactly what we're going to talk about. I was actually first confused. Um, I'm like, as how do you knows. not know? We are oh, talking about the I, idea of... Just I, I know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Jack, Jack knows. Jack knows. <laughs> I know. So 
don't what our demozone tip of the day is, or just our thought process of the day, whatever you'd like to call it, is the idea of make sure you understand. It is not a wrong question to say, just so I understand, I think you mean X, Y, Z. They yeah. could say, no, I mean A, B, C. Oh, well, that's a little different. Now I understand. Asking for clarity or a rephrasing of the question, or my favorite, can you put it in a use case? You know, like remember when you yeah. were a spelling bee when you were a kid and they said, automatopoeia, can you use that in a sentence? I don't, nobody well, can use automatopoeia in a sentence. That's <laughs> just not humanly possible. <laughs> and that was the sentence. No one uses onomatopoeia in a sentence. <laughs> Oh my, but oh, there, there's nothing worse than someone asks a question, someone answers it, and they take like five minutes. And at the end of it, the person goes, that's great. So what I wanted to know was, and you just, <laughs> you're like, oh no, I did the thing. I answered the wrong question. <laughs> so the basic demo zone tip of the day, if you're not sure, ask them what they mean. I would say <laughs> even if you are sure, still ask because you might not be exactly and the funny thing is folks remember jack and i are professionals are, are demo professionals that have worked together and i have been in a room i have i have done that where i was asked a question and gave an answer and was looking at jack and going shaking his head no <laughs> <laughs> we've all done it listen we've all done it i do it regularly still and catch myself halfway through my answer going I really hope I know what I'm answering and this is the right question. Yep. And But it's, yeah, it's a great tip. Great demo zone tip, Adam. I really appreciate that. Um, we're going to pick this up next week. Continue to talk, talk about the storytelling animal. Please pick it up. There's a link in the description for it. If you want to get ahead of things, our next month, we're going through this book, Range by David Epstein. Another non-sales book, but absolutely fantastic. Get ahead of that. That'll be our December book coming to you very, very soon. Uh, any final any final thoughts or tips, Adam, before we leave? Don't forget about DemoJockeys.com. You can hear our older episodes on there to see the books that we're looking at, previously looked at, and we'll be looking at in the future. Excellent tip. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for stopping by. We'll see you in the next episode. Take care. See you all in the next episode.